Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. And God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. And as I woke up, these words came out of my mouth. And I said, I'm a murderer. My womb was empty. My soul was empty. My spirit was empty. And this elderly woman walked towards me to give me a pamphlet. And when I refused, she looked at me. She said, oh, you did one of those. You're going to go to hell. She was right. And in that moment, I condemned myself. I said, I would never have children. I could never forgive me. I accepted that. Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons for this week. Hi, I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio, and if that voice sounded familiar, it just might be. That's actress April Hernandez-Castillo. April had an abortion and suffered emotionally because of what she knew what she did. Gabe, this talk came from a recent Q conference. Uh, Why don't you tell us about it? This was one of her first times publicly sharing such a personal, deeply private story, but a story that's going to encourage you as you learn from a woman who basically walked through abortion at an early age. And after making that decision, you're just going to see how God worked in her life and what took place afterwards. Now, this isn't just an average story. This is a story coming from somebody who's one of the most respected Latino actresses in Hollywood, April Hernandez Castillo. She's in the feature film that you may remember back when it was one of the award-nominated MTV films, Freedom Riders, back in 2007. And she's also appeared in ER, Law & Order, 30 Rock, Dexter, and more. Now, we'll hear from April shortly, but Gabe, as we think about the abortion issue and what it means to be pro-life both for the baby and the mother, this is something that Q has long addressed. And helping women who had abortions find forgiveness and healing is part of the conversation. It's such a huge area that the church not only should address, but needs to. Why? Because there are many women in our pews who have had abortions, something they hold privately. In 2017, at the Q Conference that year, Gabe, you hosted a panel of people seeking to be holistically pro-life. Among them was Joe Baker, who founded Save the Stork. Let's listen to one of the questions you posed, Joe. Joe, just stepping back. I mean, the bigger pro-life movement, we've had conversations about that. Like, it's had a brand or perception of back in the 80s, you know, when, when uh, you were growing up. The pro-life movement just had a very much a political edge to it, it felt like. Um, protesting, maybe, things like that. As you look at the moment we're in, 2017, what are you seeing as some of the biggest opportunities, maybe, over the next many years and, and some of the great threats to how the movement goes forward? Because we know the next generation 
in, in large part, it's becoming more and more pro-life. As science and education is happening, things are changing and things are afoot, you know, in, in a new generation. But how are you seeing the threat and opportunity? You know, I love this question because it's right at the pinnacle of where our organization is and where we're looking at what, where we're going. Because right now, one-third of the members of the, of the church, by any study you want to do, it's about 35% of the church, has had an abortion. And then you have to consider the amount of people that drove somebody there or that knew something and didn't say anything. And yet, of those people that have had an abortion, 52% of them have never shared that with anyone in their church. So most women are, are still bearing that guilt that you talked about, that you shared about, that they're they have this incredible shame that they carry. And you wouldn't believe how many times at our booth people come, will come up to us and they'll come up to me and they'll share something with me and they'll say, I'm going to share something with you that I've never shared with anybody in my life. Mm. And, and, and they really are honest. They, they really have never shared it with anybody. They feel trapped by that. And, and Barna recently did this study where they discovered that the number one thing that people want to hear about, this was the number one thing that people want to hear about, 91% of the, of the people voted and said they wanted to hear more about the topic of abortion from the pulpit. But 94% of churches have no pro-life expression. And while we're here at the conference, we're surveying people, we're talking to them, and we often ask them, hey, when was the last time you heard the subject of abortion from the pulpit? They always have no idea. They, they, they go blank. You know, and they can't remember it. And I said, has it ever? And they, they, they say, I don't, I don't think it ever has. Yeah. And, and, and yet this is, the, this is something that people carry. And I guarantee you, the reason why people don't share about their abortion is because they don't feel safe because the pastor hasn't created an environment where that's a conversation that can be had within the church. And uh, we just had a conversation with someone um, out of our booth where, where they were sharing with us. They went to the pastor and they... They, they wanted to share their own personal story, and they asked about abortion. And the way that the pastor tried to dodge and make sure he, he didn't offend anybody in his response to her made her feel unsafe to go there for ministry. And so she actually drove 45 minutes later to join another church to find someone who actually would have the conversation with her without kind of dodging around it. Again, that was Joe Baker from the organization Save the Storks on Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Gabe, we started the show by hearing a piece from actress April Hernandez Castillo and about her abortion recovery story. Before we get to the talk, tell us more about her. What I love about April is that when you get into this story and you hear it, you're just going to hear what it looks like to be alone, what it looks like to have no other options. And give us a little more of a perspective on what goes through the mind what is the experience like for a woman who's walking through this difficult decision and then making that decision and then what the day actually looks like to go through an abortion? Now, the timing of this is obviously coming a week after the March for Life, after the Roe v. Wade anniversary, where our nation talks a lot about this topic. And we talk about abortion. We care about it a lot here at Q. We believe in the value of life from conception. We believe this is critical. We believe Christians throughout history have always stood for this, have always defended this, have always seen this as an act of justice to defend the rights of the unborn. But when you get to hear April's story, what it does is I think it's going to elicit compassion when you hear the perspective from someone who feels like they have no other options. So let's listen in now to the story of April Hernandez Castillo. 
April Hernandez Castillo, and I had an abortion. The year was 1999. I was 19 years old, and it was a blazing hot summer in New York City. My boyfriend at the time, who was a bit older, he had an athletic form, tall, dark brown eyes. I was in love. But early in our relationship, he began to abuse me. And when the jealousy escalated, the violence escalated. And it would go from a shove to punching to choking to him almost taking my life. It was bad. I remember clearly the blood stained on my white T-shirt that summer. And I eventually found the courage to leave the relationship. And when I was being abused, I, I always heard my father's voice in the back of my head. And he would always tell me, a man who loves you will honor you. So I knew I was not being honored. And so I left. Now, one of the things that my friends know about me is that I love chicken. Random, I know. But I love chicken in any form of fashion. I try not to eat fried because I'm an actor, right? And so this particular day, Wendy's, oddly enough, they had a really good grilled chicken sandwich. I was starving. And I grabbed this sandwich. You know when you're just starving and you're just ready, salivating like a beast. And I go and I take a bite. And all of a sudden, I became nauseous. I was ready to go back to Wendy's and ask for my money. Nauseous to the point that I actually had to vomit. So I'm thinking, my goodness, do I have food poisoning? Maybe I have the flu. But then I thought, could I be pregnant? Now, no one knew about my abuse. No one. So I went to a friend who I knew who wouldn't tell the whole entire world. And I said, I think I might be pregnant. So we ran to the pharmacy. Just imagine two teenage girls looking, praying no one finds us. And I sneak into my house. My parents weren't home. And I take the pregnancy test. This was the longest two minutes of my life. And then my friend, she asks me the one million dollar question. Are you going to keep it? It. Keep it. As if I had an alien growing in my body. And then it happened. Two lines. I was pregnant. I took a deep breath. And I cried. I cried because I was terrified. I cried because I was ashamed. I cried because I knew 
I could not bring a child into this world from a man who almost took my life. I cried because I knew I couldn't keep it. And so I made the decision to have an abortion. At this time, the internet, well, we had AOL and dial-up. Does anyone remember those times? Yes, so you can imagine looking for an abortion clinic and you're just waiting. So I went through the yellow pages and that was fun. So I made my appointment for Saturday. And I remember on this Saturday, the sky was a sea blue. And I took the train by myself. Now, in New York City, it's kind of hard to feel alone on the subway. And yet, this was the loneliest ride I had ever taken. And so I finally reach my stop, and it was in Manhattan, and I come out, and I see this building. It was a big, menacing building, a corporate building. And in the front, I saw protesters, people from the faith community, protesting. And I stopped. I couldn't move. And out of nowhere, this police officer came over to me and he said, young lady, would you like me to escort you in? I couldn't even talk. And so as I go up to the building, I walk into the office and over to my right, I look and there is a sea of women, all pregnant, different stages. Probably the youngest girl there was 14. I walk up to the receptionist, terrified. And she says, how do you plan to pay? Cash or credit and it's 400. She was really kind. I took it. I sat down and my tears were falling like bombs on the page. I was scared. I didn't really look at anyone. No one really spoke. We were just here in a room. Ms. Hernandez? Ms. Hernandez, yes? And I follow the nurse and she takes me into a room to have my sonogram taken. And for some odd reason, she left. She stepped out and there was a folder with the sonogram. And I took the folder and I looked at it and I saw my baby. I saw what was growing inside of me and it was no longer an it, but it was a human being. But I still had to do it. Because sometimes when we find ourselves in desperate situations, we make desperate choices. I put my gown on and I had the most unattractive green hospital socks. And as I walked down the hall, the floor was arctic cold. I could feel it. And I stop again. And I get to the spot. And I'm looking. And I see it. I see a machine. And below the machine, I see stained blood. And for some odd reason, I asked the nurse, excuse me, miss, how many has one woman had? 13, 13. 
And all of a sudden the doctor came in and I don't remember his face. I just remember his voice. And he said, young lady, don't worry. All it will take is five minutes. You won't feel a thing. Five minutes to remove a human. When I finally woke up, I was in a haze. And there were several girls there also waiting. And it felt as if we were just slaughtered like cows. And as I woke up, these words came out of my mouth. And I said, I'm a murderer. And the nurse did everything she could to console me. But I said, no, I'm a murderer. And when I found the strength, I, I put my clothes on. And as I was waiting, I was waiting outside. And I remember the sun shining on my face and the sky was blue. But I was empty. My womb was empty. My soul was empty. My spirit was empty. And this elderly woman walked towards me to give me a pamphlet. And when I refused, she looked at me. She said, oh, you did one of those. You're going to go to hell. She was right. And in that moment, I condemned Myself, I said, I would never have children. I could never forgive me. I accepted that. Fast forward to 2008. I swept it under the rug. I was a new woman. I was making money. I was in Freedom Riders. I was perfect. I was in a new relationship and my boyfriend at the time, who is now my husband, not the abuser, <laughs> just need to clarify that. We were having relationship issues. Anybody have relationship issues? Just want to make sure. Okay. <laughs> and he said, I'm going to a new church and, you know, I'm really looking for God. And I said, well, you tell God I said hello. <laughs> Let me know how that goes for you. So he finally convinced me to go. And I went, oh, but I did it my way. I showed up to church with red lipstick, jet black Versace glasses, and I sat in the back like this. Because, you know, we always assume that the Holy Spirit won't reach us in the back. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, something was different that day. The pastor began talking about Forgiveness. Forgiveness. And all of a sudden, my body reacted first and my heart started to pump. Boom, boom, boom. And I walked up really slow. And I remember reaching my hand up into the sky as if to rip heaven apart and just pull it open and bring God down. Because I was desperate to be forgiven. All of a sudden, I felt the power come down in my body and I fell to the ground in fetal position. I wasn't crying. My soul was sobbing. It was as if my womb, my uterus was sobbing. And all of a sudden, I heard the voice. 
He said, my daughter, I forgive you. I love you. But I need you to forgive yourself. I got up. I was a hot mess. My glasses, I don't know where they went. My, my lipstick was smeared. My mascara was everywhere. I didn't know where my boyfriend was. I said, what is going on? And later on in that evening, we went to his house and I had to process. And as I begin talking, you ever have that moment when you are underwater and you hear someone's voice from afar and his voice became faint. And all of a sudden, it was as if I was having an Etch-a-Sketch moment. Do we all remember Etch-a-Sketch? Okay, millennials, figure it out. Okay, so. And when I saw, it was green. A green that only the painter Bob Ross could paint. If you don't know who Bob Ross is, he is a white man with an afro. And it was that kind of green. And there were daisies everywhere. And they were swaying back and forth as if the wind was whispering to them. And all of a sudden, I saw a little girl. And she was beautiful. And she had long brown hair and a white dress. And she looked to me and she said, Mommy, I forgive you. I love you. But I need you to let me go. I'm okay. And God was so good, he revealed her to me. And her name was Daisy. What you see up there is an actual photo years later of my daughter, Summer Rose, that my husband took. And this is exactly what I saw. I often think about the woman with the pamphlet. And in that moment, how she chose to make it about herself. How she chose to condemn me. And it became more about her and less about what I needed. Which was a hug, love, and empathy. Jesus says, those without sin cast the first stone I understand that the topic of abortion is touchy I understand that I am in a room full of believers faith movers and shakers and yes we absolutely must fight for the life of the unborn child but I wonder have we missed and failed the woman who's terrified Abortion is not about you. Abortion is not a black or white issue. It is a gray issue. And my question to you all, will you be willing to stand in the gray and meet the woman who's had one, two, three, four more abortions and still serve her? Jesus was willing to stand in the gray. And he would ask one question. How can I help you? If we want to be impactful, if we want to see change, we must be slow to speak, quick to listen, and love unconditionally. Thank you.
Well, like I told you, this was pretty compelling, remarkable story and her courage to just share it. You can kind of hear the quiver in her voice sharing this for the first time to a public audience that, that she's not sure how they'll react. Well, at Q, the audience responded with just great encouragement because we love it when somebody shares their perspective and it exposes us to maybe how other people think and feel but to also see how God intervened, his faithfulness to intervene in her own life, her own story, to meet her in the middle of that, to see this healing journey take place in her own life to where now she can help others. Now she can share her story and encourage others and also speak truth to the horrific nature of what takes place during an abortion. I also want to encourage you, if you are challenged by this talk, if you are engaged by it, that every April, we do the Q conference for this very reason, to expose you to the stories that you're maybe not going to see on mainstream news. You might maybe aren't going to see it in an article. It, it's stories that sometimes you don't always get the opportunity to hear. And when you come to Q in person, you get to hear 35 of them. Okay. So topics ranging from everything from this year, censorship. We're talking about technology. We're talking about how do we raise young men to become men when they grow up, when they hit their 20s and 30s. We're talking about resilience in our kids. How do we build that into their lives from an early age? We're talking about censorship. We're dealing with the suicide epidemic that our nation is struggling with. We're going to hear from those in Generation Z. How are they feeling about the church? What are they thinking about related to the church? We're going to have a debate around this Trump dilemma. What do we do in the year of politics where everyone's talking about it? Christians seem deeply divided around this topic. So how do we think well about that? And how are we going to lead in the midst of that type of polarization? These are the kind of topics you not only hear talks on, but you get to discuss with those you're sitting at your table with as you listen and learn from other perspectives and get a chance to test out some of your ideas with really thoughtful people who can respond, who can in some ways challenge you and help you think well about this important year ahead. So join us. You can go to qideas.org slash 2020 to see all the details on the experiences, the breakout conversations, all the topics and presenters that we have with many more being added every day. But in addition to that, we have a price break for you that will last until February 10th. So as you're hearing this, make plans now to join us April 22nd to 24th in Nashville, Tennessee for this amazing experience. We hope you'll join us there. Until next time, I hope you have a great week. This program is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.